met. Not that long ago, I was one of the first people to face a graboid and live. Broke into the wrong goddamn rec room, didn't you, you bastard? This is a graboid, a true classic, like an American-made automobile that eats you. This is a shrieker. Get some earplugs and aspirin. Trust me. Now this is the aptly named Ass Blaster. Guess what they do? Know which one is which. It might just save your life. Uh, I, I don't want to alarm you, but this means we're going to have to get copies of Tremor's Shrieker Island basically as soon as it drops. <laughs> uh, I'm sure that'll be on video on demand for like 99 cents. I bet Tremor's movies make pretty good bucks. They obviously do if they're still making those things like like every two years. I don't plan on working this into the show at all, but I was amazed to find out that Tremors 1 only happened because the guys responsible were the short circuit dudes. Yeah. And that movie made so much money, they're like, yeah, fuck it, Tremors time, baby! That blew my fucking mind. That th Those riders were a train that was only stopped by Wild Wild West. <laughs> it's just such a weird thing to think, like, I know what our passion project is, and it's Tremors. And short circuit's gonna be the rocket that takes us to the moon. One day we'll direct Land Sharks. <laughs> hey, Land Sharks is kind of fun. I want to live in the world where that Saturday Night Live sketch never happened and we have a Land Sharks franchise. I feel like the first one would have made more money. <laughs> Do you think S.S. Wilson is busy with anything right now? Could we like pull this guy in? I have questions. <laughs> Get him for the final episode. See what he thinks of Shrieker Island. There's like his his Wikipedia page is basically threadbare. No one wants to touch S.S. Wilson on Wikipedia. No one fucks with this guy. <laughs> if anyone adds anything, he personally removes it. It doesn't even have his date of birth. It just says born. He's, he's like Bert. He just wants to be off the grid. Can we, can we change it? You can't stop the gummer to finding S.S. Wilson. <laughs> That's episode one. I just typed S.S. Wilson into the Google image search. And like the only picture that popped up is a picture of him when he was like filming Tremors. I'm not even sure if he's alive anymore. He looked like he was not incredibly young on the set of Tremors 1. <laughs> How old is this man? Oh, he's only 72. He's actually younger than uh, Michael Gross. I think this is just going to become Missing Richard Simmons, but with S.S. Wilson. I feel, yeah, we're going to... have to find the Tremors man. Tremors man. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to Box Office Pulp, your one-stop podcast for movies, madness, and moxie. I'm your host, Cody, and tonight we're kicking off a new Bob miniseries about everyone's favorite, if you disagree, you're wrong, underground monsters. This is You Can't Kill the Gummer. That's right, I'm talking tremors with my co-host Jamie. Say hello, Jamie. I brought plenty of MREs, but that's unrelated to the podcast. That's, I'm that's... just kind of worried about the state of the world right now. Understandable, but that's part two. That's that's Tremors 2, Aftershocks. You can't jump ahead like that. I, I can't help it, Cody. I've got the gummer on the brain. Have you actually ever had like an MRE? Oh, yes. Uh, whenever uh, Hurricane Katrina hit down here, the military was giving out uh, MREs and ice bags, uh, like by the truckload. I've only had them for funsies, so you, you have a different, uh, entirely different connection to MREs than I do. <laughs> <laughs> Question, Cody. How did eating MREs as funsies go? Oh, it's terrible. Uh, so I was, I was part of the military explorers as a kid, which is basically like a militarized version of the Boy Scouts. It's like, I, I think, same organization. 
Uh, and so every once in a while, you know, you go on like a camping trip or something and they'd give you MREs eat like the real soldiers do. And, and you just realize that like, yeah, the coffee stuff inside of there is garbage. You can't get the taste out of your canteen after you put in any of the flavoring stuff. Yeah, they call them meals ready to expel for a reason. Yeah, most of the food stuff in there is, is there's a couple that are good and there are a couple that are really just awful. So you got to be careful on what meal you actually get. I was a big, big fan of the crackers and peanut butter, though. I could I could rock that. You know, I didn't want to spend a lot of time talking about MREs, but now that's all I want to talk about. I don't even want to talk about tremors, and I love tremors. <sighs> all right, let's back this truck up. I said we're talking tremors, and I, I have to be specific because we've already wandered off. We're talking tremors one today. This is the first episode. We're just doing tremors one. We'll get to the other ones later. So, folks, if you have not seen the original Tremors, you're missing out. The first one, I would say, is an all-timer in terms of monster movies. It's one of the coolest monsters out there. You got one of the best casts out there. It's a wonderful scenario. Everything about Tremors 1 is pretty good in my mind. Uh, If you haven't seen it, the breakdown is this. There is a small town called Perfection. Uh, And by small, I mean there's like, what, 14 people, I think the sign says at the start of the movie? We basically meet the entire town in the first couple of scenes. There, there's no one who really lives here. It's like one storehouse out in the middle of the desert. You got two handyman buddies who want to leave town, and they can't because a monster starts eating everyone around them, including their truck. That's it. That's that's the entire plot. Two guys want to leave their shitty town, have to kill a monster first. It's very simple and engaging. I love it. It's it's also one of those movies, Jamie. You, you remember, I'm assuming you remember the poster for the first movie? Oh, yeah, a fucking local video store favorite. Yes. Uh, so when I was growing up, my parents would, like, drop me off at their friend's house because they had kids roughly my age, and they had a copy of Tremors on VHS. We never actually watched it, but just seeing that poster basically tells you exactly what the movie is. Like, it encapsulates the entirety of the film perfectly. It's just Kevin Bacon in giant letters on the top, and then a giant, like, underground dragon beneath that. It's appropriate that this movie feels like such a throwback, because that poster itself feels like a throwback to the age whenever they'd make movies based on the poster, instead of the other way around. Because <laughs> it feels like the writers just went up to a studio with the poster already made, like, Kevin Bacon, Fred Ward, Tremors, make this movie. Here's your $10 million. We expect it in four months. Even, yeah, but that goddamn poster enough was like to engage my imagination. Without having seen the movie, I understood the concept. There's a scary monster underground that's going to eat you. The floor is lava everywhere. <laughs> really, Tremors is the ultimate floor is lava experience. I think that's why uh, these movies were such a big hit with kids from our generation. Oh, yeah. You just say, oh, I'm playing Tremors. And it basically gave you an excuse to like run along your couch and not touch the carpet. And everybody talked like my family, so it was like I, I saw myself on the screen for once. <laughs> Everyone has so many guns, oh god. And you know a lot of movies try and portray characters like blue collar, rough guys, and it never really comes off as authentic. This movie does very much feel like these are just a couple of roughnecks out there. They live in their truck, their, their jobs are shit, they have like $8 between them to last the week. It feels like this is one of the more authentic rough portrayals of dudes just out living in the West by themselves kind of movies. It's funny how Tremors is set in a Nevada desert town, because this might be the most Southern horror film ever made. Uh, Second, (laughs) of course, to the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the struggle of the Southern working class during the 1970s. I will, to interrupt you for one second on that end, 
I always find it fascinating when movies are very regional specific. Like they want you to know, hey, this is this is a fucking Texas movie about Texans. And people from other regions of the country are like, oh, yeah, that's totally a Texas movie. But I identify with it as a Wisconsin story or a Minnesota story or a Seattle story. Like the specific points they make in any of those films just make you think back to, oh, my place is like a foil to that or whatever. And it just for some reason makes a bond by having it be so specific and different from what your experience is. I think that's part of the appeal of this whole entire franchise. Like they move around from location to location in most of these movies, yet there's still this extremely blue-collar, working-class hero vibe to each of these entries that, as goofy as this franchise gets, never feels too mocking or condescending. I think that's why this movie is such a huge hit with the NASCAR crowd, because let me tell you, Burt Gummer <laughs> is the resurrection of Jesus Christ down <laughs> When I was growing up, there was not a single household that not have at least one VHS of a Tremors movie, like tucked away for that rainy day. Like, <laughs> I just remember playing on TV. I think it was TNT constantly as a kid, which I was fine with. Oh, that was a TNT and sci-fi channel favorite. Yes. Yeah. Sci-fi. Yeah. Sci-fi would just fucking do marathons of it. Again, not a complaint. And God, speaking of uh, the love affair, the South, and by extension, I guess us at this point, <laughs> uh, with the character Bert Gummer, after 30 years, Bert is still battling graboids. Like in just a few scant weeks on uh, October the 20th, 2020, Tremors Shrieker Island is being released straight to Blu ray and video on demand, which has gotten a lot. Uh, more crowded lately with the the world and all. So I like that uh, prestigious films and the seventh Tremors sequel are being released shoulder to shoulder. Just think, Jamie, if they hadn't said anything, like they could have pretended this was a theatrical release and then they're like, oh, darn, COVID bumped us back out. We're just going to go straight to video. I do want to point out one thing here. You, you said it's been 30 years of Gummer just fighting Graboids. Folks at home, this is very accurate. Tremors 1, this shocked me, came out in January. I, it doesn't seem like a January picture to me, but what do I know? Uh, January 19th, 1990. That was a couple of months before we were born. Yes. Yeah, that's weird, isn't it? I, I feel like if the if the Tremors franchise ever goes away, we're just going to fade out of existence like Marty McFly. It's, yeah, definitely a Back to the Future situation. We'll just be gone from the photographs. Bert Gummer, he's this is like his Herculean ordeal. He, he's, he's like a Sisyphus kind of thing. Like he can't stop fighting these graboids and he never will. The man is like 73 years old. Michael Gross is, I believe, 73 and he's still out there fighting tremors. Well, that was the entire impetus for us to do this mini series as we were looking over the announcements for yet another uh, Tremors film, which, Cody, I believe you've bought each of these as they've come out so far. Oh, much like. Bert Gummer can't stop killing Tremors. I can't stop buying Tremors. I see one in a store. I've got so many copies of Tremors. I can't help myself at this point. All of them are terrible. They really need to just remaster these films at some point. Please. <laughs> Please. I'm just, I'm begging you guys. Just somebody remaster these things. Give it like a 4K presentation. Make it look shiny and nice. I'm, I'm just saying I would, without hesitation, buy a fancy like Shout Factory edition Tremors with commentary tracks from like, Whoever you find, anyone, it could it could be 
uh, who do we have in the cast? Like Reba McIntyre can do a commentary track and be like, yep, that sounds awesome. I'd take that. I feel like she would too. You put all of the, uh, all the Blu-rays inside of a giant uh, wad of dynamite. Ooh. I do. I do miss when Blu-rays came or DVDs came out in special packaging to look like, you know, some sort of icon from the film series. Like you're buying Hellraiser, it had to come in the puzzle box. If you're buying Phantasm, it had to come in a silver sphere. I want a tremor set that actually comes in a big old graboid tongue. Like I got to reach my hand down it to retrieve the disc from its bowels. Uh, you have to like lube it up each time. So it's always <laughs> slimy. Mm, yes. Oh, we live in a world where they did release Breaking Bad in a replica corpse dissolving barrel. So yes. it's possible. That's true. <laughs> I'm, I'm still very sad. I didn't buy Evil Dead 2 when it came out with the replica Necronomicon, like a big rubbery one. Apparently, those started disintegrating after a few years, but I still, those could have been years I cherished. I, I just like that it was a DVD you had to refrigerate. That takes a <laughs> But yeah, we were looking, we saw the announcement for another Tremors movie and just kind of got lost thinking, God, Ash is gone. Fucking Reggie from Phantasm is gone. All the blue collar working class horror heroes are gone, except Burt Goddamn Cummer. He is going to fight sandworms to the day he dies. He will, yeah. And maybe even after, depending on what CGI does. But that's another really weird thing about this franchise. They actually picked a hero and just stuck with him. Almost every other horror franchise, essentially, the villain is the flagship character you're going to follow. You know, if it's a Friday the 13th, who cares? Tommy Jarvis might be in a couple of them, but it's more or less just about Jason killing a new group of people. Nightmare on Elm Street, it's always got to be Freddy Krueger's story. Tremors, we don't have like a slasher or someone with any level personality. They're just monsters. So it's kind of like in that alien mold where you got Scorny Weaver the whole time. Only that's not quite true either because it took them three films to figure out who their star should be. Because <laughs> everybody else left. Pretty much. We'll get into that later. But for Tremors 1, we got to focus on, I, I mean, you got Kevin Bacon leading a monster movie. Yes, that's a wonderful mix. It's, it's sad we didn't get more of him throughout Tremors. Uh, it's very sad we didn't get the new Tremors TV show that would have seen the return of Kevin Bacon Ooh, to the Tremors universe. I know. Uh, I got I to gotta track down that pilot. I'm sure it's online somewhere. The bad thing is, too, he's always been down. He just has something better to do every time it comes up. Yeah, you can't blame the man. Like, hey, do you want to start in Tremors 5 or do you want to take like $20 million to do an X-Men movie? Mm-hmm, uh-huh. But... We got, uh, I keep wanting to say Val Kilmer for some reason. I'm going to mix it up <laughs> a bit. Similar mold. Yeah, whatever. Uh, we have Kevin Bacon for this movie. And we shouldn't overlook that Fred Ward is also here playing kind of the co-lead. Uh, I would say Kevin Bacon's Valentine McKee is, is the main dude. But Fred Ward is with him in pretty much every single scene. So Earl Bassett is, is I would say, a step up from a sidekick. And a slight step down from being the lead. He's like a 1.5 on the lead scale. Yeah, Earl is an interesting figure in the two movies he shows up in because by the time we're introduced to him, he's already far older than what a conventional action star is supposed to be. So it's so entertaining in this film seeing him badass around as much as anybody uh, is able to in a movie where you're running from sandworms. 
Like, and this, like, this has kind of passed his prime. This is after Remo Williams' The Adventure Begins. <laughs> this is Fred Ward at a time when Fred Ward was supposed to be on the way down, and he's the co-star in Goddamn Tremors. Oh, and he's wonderful, too. He's he's kind of grizzled here, but not not really. Like, he's just an older guy. Like, he's still kind of funny. Not intentionally, necessarily. I, you know, I like the co-play between him and Kevin Bacon. The chemistry here is amazing. Like, Earl and Val, I would watch 100 movies with these two guys just fucking around. There's oh, I, the constant banter back and forth with with Earl basically being like, hey, you got to plan ahead, even as he fucks up planning ahead. And Val being like the young gun who is just kind of a moron. It, it works out so well. They're both idiots, but they deserve each other. I understand why virtually every sequel idea until they had to abandon it was Earl and Val just become monster hunters. I would have watched that. That would have been great. Like, that would be the number one show on television if they had been able to make that work in the early 90s. Could you imagine primetime bacon? Primetime bacon. Is that what they called him back in the 90s? That They do now in the past. <laughs> Retrospectively, we're going to correct the past. Going back to Fred Ward for a moment before we move uh, away from him. I feel like in a perfect world... Fred Ward would have had the exact same career John Bernthal has. Oh, I never connected the dots before, but yes, he's he's 90s Bernthal. He should have. Yeah, he should have had that kind of stuff. Because that dude. Where, where, is... Do we have a version of Fury with with Earl Bassett? <laughs> Fred Ward is one of those genre actors who really could have done all of it. Like he could have been a dramatic heavy. He could like we even see a little a bit in Tremors, too. Like, he could have been a leading man if if uh, fate had worked out that way. So this yeah. is just with the main two actors, we have a front-loaded cast, and then we get everyone else in the movie. Yeah, if you just go down the list of people here, like, you've got Victor Wong. He's always just delightful to see popping into the little roles. Uh, again, Michael Gross. I don't know if you can say enough about how good Burt Gummer is in the first two Tremors movies before he takes over as the lead. He's just a sporting character who comes in. He's basically Earl Dribble before that character existed. Just a, just a gun hoarding, lives in a bunker underground to, to protect himself from like fallout and stuff. Just waiting for the world to end kind of guy who happens to be in a situation he didn't plan for. Like the one apocalypse he didn't plan for is the one to bite him in the ass. Uh, you've got Reba McIntyre as his wife, who's basically the same character. They're a good match in this one. Uh, it's 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 just wonderful. All these side characters that get to pop in and have surprisingly delightful little roles. Could you imagine walking into a theater in 1990? It's January, so most <laughs> of the movies available are dog shit. You see that fucking poster, and you see Killer Sandworm movie starring Kevin Bacon, Remo Williams, Egg Shen. Reba and the dad from Family <laughs> Ties. That is shut up and give me my money right there. Just want to point out the tagline on the poster is they say there's nothing new under the sun, but under the ground, ellipses. I-, I like that the tagline's trying to be cute with you. Yeah, well, that should be. That's what the tagline's for. So we've got this stunning cast. What I think is just a beautiful setup for a horror movie. Typically in a horror film, you can see the monster coming along. You typically know where it is, and getting away from it is what the scary part is. In in Tremors, you never can be 100% sure because the monsters are underground. They live underground, they're very speedy, they can burrow through the ground, and they pop up just long enough to grab you and pull you underground and eat you. That's amazing! 
you can have a wide open field now and the terror could be anywhere. People can go at any time. For a horror concept, that's perfect. You can you can just scare people whenever you feel like. Oh yeah, the the threat of Kool-Aid Manning at any point <laughs> makes this movie surprisingly tense. Like that was a big takeaway I had from it rewatching it this week for the first time in years is Tremors is a very tense movie once the Graboids are introduced. Because when you don't remember where those scares are, you feel like things could go to shit at any point. Yeah. And they keep upping the ante, too. At first, it's like, you know, people get pulled underground and you don't see them anymore. But then they start going after trucks. So, you know, a truck isn't even safe. Then they start pulling down buildings. So even if you're on the second floor of a building, you might not be safe because the Tremor could just knock the foundation down. That's that's a great level of escalation. Like as the movie goes along, you just realize less and less is safe and you have to keep evolving your expectation of what you can handle. And you you're never quite sure who's going to go next. I mean, Victor Wong has a big scene where he gets to name the monster and then it's just gone like five minutes later. We should mention, too, despite how tense it can be, this is it's mostly a horror comedy. Like there's not a lot of jokes, I would say. But the the comic relief between just the cast fucking around makes the whole movie feel very light and fun. Uh, It's one of the most successful horror comedies, I think, in that respect. Really, like, what what you come away feeling is that you just watched what so many drive-in monster movies wish they could be. Like, the, the kind of tone they were always going for, but always ended up either too self-serious or too not taking themselves seriously. It's it's an impossible juggling act to do a horror comedy most times because you lean one way or the other a little too far. When they're good, whew, what a great blend. But so often they, like you said, just either get uh, too up their own ass or the comedy becomes so slapsticky that it, the horror is, you know, unsalvageable. This one, you get both. And I think it's mostly just because the humor is provided from the characters. not like there's needle drops or anything like that to drive comedy. There's not like physical bits so much. It's it's little things like Kevin Bacon always losing at rock, paper, scissors with the same move. Yeah, there's never a moment where the universe or the film itself plays anything for laughs. Like All that humor just comes from the characters being terrified and or being idiots, which is really what you want out of a horror comedy. Yeah, little bits like uh, calling them mother humpers. I'm assuming to get around uh, an NC-17. Yeah, I found just, just out. Just like that. I found out in research. Like, I've always wondered about that. And no, they totally, like, melon-farmed themselves because they wanted a PG-13 rating at, like, the last minute because this was originally, like, a hard R. I could see that. I mean, it's it's not particularly gory. There's a couple, like, spooky images of, you know, dead people hanging on radio towers or just, you know, a face in the sand. But nothing, nothing like, you know, ripped off arms and guts or anything too bad. Yeah, we I think that's ultimately one of the things that led to this becoming such a VHS titan back in the day. It was a movie anybody could rent. It was the perfect pizza party movie. There's nothing terribly risque or really that gory, like you said. So this was a movie parents were perfectly fine just dropping in their kid's lap for an afternoon. Yeah, there's no explicit sex, there's no drugs, there's... The violence is all monster-related, and there's not really gore. There's not even that much of bad language. You really could just have, like, an eight-year-old watch this, and everyone would come around, come away okay. Yeah, again, it feels like 
such a great throwback to the old drive-in monster movies. And I, I love how it seems like at least once a decade, studios try to do a big, expensive monster movie throwback with something like Maximum Overdrive or Eight-Legged Freaks. And this very, very rarely works because you it's very hard to recreate that kind of stuff on purpose. But Tremors not only succeeds in recapturing that magic, it makes, like I said, it makes those movies better. I think the trick is you just have to somehow get the perfect cast. You just have to put everyone in your movie as the best character actors who are around at that time. That's all you need to do. Actually, speaking of, I don't know if this thought has ever occurred to you, but this popped into my head halfway through my viewing and I could not shake it. Tremors is Maximum Overdrive if it were good. (laughs) <laughs> no, I did not have that thought at all when I was watching the movie. <laughs> Maximum I mean, Overdrive did not appear to me at all while watching this film. I mean, you got a lot of uh, blue-collar, like, Stephen King locals, like, trapped mostly <laughs> in one building with things circling them. Like, I feel like this is exactly the kind of movie Stephen King was trying to make before the cocaine got the better of him. This feels like the kind of movie that should have like a Stephen King endorsement on the cover of the VHS. It really feels like Stephen King should be shouting like, the best movie you'll see all summer, even though it came out in January. I like that it was cold when people were watching this movie. There's something hilarious about being cold and watching Tremors. Uh, I, oof. I'm so mad that I found that out because I just assumed that this was a <laughs> summer movie. It seems like it has to be. Who wants to see Tremors in January? Ugh. Studios, what are you doing? Come on, get your shit together. Speaking of uh, getting shit together, I realized we made a small omission when we were going through the cast list. We forgot to bring up Finn Carter as Rhonda LeBeck, who does not have a huge role in this film. He's mostly serving the role of uh, a love interest for Val, but I was surprised by how much I came away really liking that character this go-around. She's not terribly sexualized, which is kind of makes her kind of an outlier for this type of movie from this type of time period. In fact, well, the joke the, is they try and sexualize her and then they're disappointed and then they realize they like her anyways. <laughs> like, oh no, we have to like her personality. Yeah. Whoa. I'd say the Tremors franchise on the whole has mostly been very good at whenever it can doing at the very least equal opportunity sexualization. Like Fred Ward is the man meat of Aftershock. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, her character actually, she's not a damsel in distress. It's not like the end of the movie is Val has to go save her from a nest of graboids. No, she's pretty much out there doing her own thing. She's the one who comes up with a lot of the ideas that they use, like uh, pole vaulting between the rocks and all that kind of stuff. She is, I don't want to say a strong, independent woman, <laughs> but the character isn't written just to be like, oh, she's the love interest. She's there just, you know, so Val has someone to love and someone to rescue. She's actually like a full character who's doing her own thing and just happens to have an attraction to Kevin Bacon's character, which is nice. It's refreshing. Like, oh, okay, an actual rounded out character who's here for real reasons. Yeah, I've always felt like it. her character works because it's as if she just stepped out of a disaster movie. Like she's like the, in her world, the day after tomorrow is happening. Like this is not a horror movie she's walking around in. <laughs> I think that little touch of gravity like really anchors things. Speaking of nice touches, one thing I just really, really loved on this last viewing that I had forgotten happened. So we have Bobby Jacoby playing Melvin Plug, the like annoying teenager that you're kind of hoping gets eaten. He's so obnoxious. He's he's typically the standing character in a slasher movie that you root for to die. 
only in this one, like he gets scared at the end and Gummer gives him a gun because he's been asking for a gun the whole time and Bert won't give any of them away. And the kid's so excited. He finally has a gun. And this is what gives him the courage to make the sprint away from the tremors. And then Melvin finds out the gun he was given was empty. He had no bullets. And I just I just love everything about that little interaction because it makes you think of Bert Gummer as a much better guy. <laughs> like he actually cares about this kid enough to give him the gun. And he loves his gun more than probably anything else. He wants this kid to survive. He actually cares about his other survivors. Melvin gets that bit of humanity, that bit of courage. You're like, yeah, okay. He's not being obnoxious. He's going to, he's doing it now. And the whole thing turns out to be a joke. I don't know. I feel like things are better without him having a gun. <laughs> I feel like that, that was a, a cold, sober uh, choice by Bert that saved them in the end. Well, like he accidentally would have shot everyone if he had bullets inside of there. It would have turned into the mist. <laughs> it wouldn't have been accidental. Like, no. Yeah, <laughs> oh, no. At last, power. We find out he set the Graboids loose. It's a fucking Buffy the Vampire Slayer plot. Hold on. That's that's an interesting part here. We never get, like, a scientific explanation for the Graboids. Do we? Like, they're, they're saying, uh, oh, we're testing. Still. Yeah, we're testing for, like, seismic activity out in the area. But it's not like they're saying, you know, a group of scientists unleashed these. They're not calling them mutants. They're not saying they're necessarily dinosaurs it, they leave it very open-ended there's just monsters and you have to deal with them and that's perfectly fine i didn't stop at any point in tremors and go hold on they didn't tell me how these monsters got here i can't enjoy this film actually i think that's the perfect lead into a soon to be recurring feature on this show what's up with the graboids I would like to know more about the Graboids, Jamie. Can you tell me more about the Graboids? Okay, now we don't have a lot to talk about lore-wise with this one introductory introduction. <laughs> like, Cody, what would you say we know about the Graboids as the credits roll in this film? So in this first film, uh, we find out they can grow to be fairly large in size, you know, longer than a car. Uh, we know they're very strong. They can speed their way through the dirt uh, we get glimpses of them in their full form as they're like flying off cliffs and stuff, but we don't get a great, great picture of what the entire beast looks like and how they handle like their locomotion. Uh, we know they got weird fucked up mouths and I'm not really sure the purpose of. They have like snake tongues that come out and have separate mouths that can eat things and grab things. I love their xenomorph mouths. Yeah, they just have like unnecessary extra mouths that can kind of act as hands. So we know they're weird. I don't really know how a lot of this functions underground where they come from any of that uh i also does the poster accurately represent what the tremor mouth looks like when it doesn't have all like the little graboid tongue sticking out i don't think it does i've wondered that since childhood like i i don't know where that image came from i think that may have came from someone's head and not the actual movie is it is it like a zoom in on uh maybe like one of the the tremor tongues or something i don't remember them having teeth but it does kind of have like those weird backward swooping barbed tufts i guess you could call them i don't know the tremors i couldn't even draw a tremor properly if i had to <laughs> and I, I enjoy this franchise is what i'm saying so no i don't know a lot about the tremors or their lore particularly at this point of the franchise i, I know very little about the tremors but i'll be damned if that isn't one of the most effective monster designs of the era like, it's amazing that you don't really need explanation or backstory because between the puppetry and the practical effects work and just the design work, you buy that these things are actually out there. Like, you don't need to know oh, yeah. why the mandibles are there. They seem like they serve a purpose. 
It's <laughs> yeah. it's my favorite type of monster design where somebody clearly sat down and thought to themselves, okay, if this thing had actually evolved and everything on it served a purpose, what would that look like? It looks uh, very function over form. I just I just enjoy the fact that they did not feel afraid to add some goofy shit to it. Like the little mouths coming outside are such a memorable touch. And like you said, the practical effects really sell this thing. Because most of the time you can hide it underground. You don't even have to see this worm. You can imagine it. And you get moments like there's some construction guys who accidentally hit the monster with uh, like a jackhammer. That then gets pulled along the ground and you just see blood coming out of the ground. Like that's a pretty simple effect, right? You just have to, you know, have something underground, pull the hammer across the set. And you can build up around that real easy. So, you you know, movie magic. But that works so well because, man, if you saw that in real life, you'd freak out. That's an impossible show of strength. And the fact that you see it in the movie actually really happening, ooh, that convinces you there's something underground. It got it. I don't know. It all comes together for me very well. I, I love the practical aspect of these creature creatures. It's it's not flashy, but it definitely sells everything. Like you said, the puppetry is really, really nice, which I'm sure is probably just like a guy with a giant tremor mask like over his hand. And he's just, you know, actually like reaching his hand up to try and bite people with it. <laughs> it's probably a very low tech solution. <laughs> If I remember correctly, it's not much more complicated than that. I do know in order to get those worms so weathered, they actually buried the puppets underground for a couple of days and then dug them back up. Just so that every single crevice of that thing was just packed and packed with dirt. That's how it should be. We should have tremors that are just all dirty nooks and crannies. God, it's one of the reasons I would love to see a really good Blu-ray or 4K of this original. I want to see how much detail is put into those things. That would be, yeah. Because we don't get a ton of glimpses, but they don't really hide it either. It's not one of those deals where they save the reveal of the monster for the last two minutes of the film. I appreciate that as well. They maintain a mystery with the Tremors. You know, the first people who die, a couple people who die in the film, we don't see them being grabbed by the Tremors. We just find bodies. We see them, you know, being dragged down. We don't get the monster itself. They kind of say that, and they give you bits and pieces as it goes around. So it, it does a good job preserving that mystery, which is an essential ingredient to any monster flick, in my mind. If you show the monster in the first two minutes, it's all over. Like, yeah, you've already lost me. If you save that reveal to, like, the halfway point, and then you give us the full-on monster for the end, that's a good balance. Oh, and they had the perfect excuse for that last money shot whenever Val tricks them into jumping off the cliff. Because you know they had to have been scratching their heads in the screenplay phase. How do we get a decent money shot of something that's underground? <laughs> right. We got to show the whole monster. Jamie, I feel like we have gotten away, though, from the point you're trying to make, the larger point you're trying to make about Tremor lore. <laughs> were were yeah. you going to take me to Tremor school? No, I was just asking you what you picked up about <laughs> Crabboids. This movie off the oh, show. Oh, oh. I thought you were going to like whip out like an encyclopedia entry and be like, well, the taxonomy of the Tremors starts with. Oh, uh, well, we got to save that for the end. Oh, fireworks show. Gotcha. Before we wrap things up, I think we have to talk a little bit more uh, over something we yada yada earlier. Because we uh, cannot uh, reach the end of the first episode of You Can't Kill the Gummer without talking about the Gummers, plural. That's true. This one's a bit of an outlier because the Gummers got himself a wife, Reba McIntyre. And they seem to have such a nice relationship. It's it's very tragic that things do not work out after the fall of the Soviet Union. <sighs> that is a bummer. That that really it is it is a bummer actually not having her around the second film. 
it's what's, it's nice having this couple that's you know a tag team pair of gun nuts. And what's crazy is Reba was totally down to keep doing these. She was like like Kevin Bacon. She was just busy. Yeah, that's it. Like I, it seems from what I've read, the people that made Tremors liked being in Tremors. It's not like they're ashamed of it. It's it's not one of those deals where. You know, they make a Texas Chainsaw movie. It has a couple of famous people in it. And then they try to never acknowledge that film for the rest of their careers. I was very nervous uh, rewatching this first movie after so long a time because so much has changed in America politically since 1990. And especially in the past few years, we've reached a point where people like Burt Gummer in real life aren't as funny as they were in 1990. Yeah. But I was pleasantly surprised that they play the Gummers entirely apolitical in this. Like, there's nothing particularly right-wing about them. They're literally just doomsday preppers. That's really it, yeah. It's not like Bert's out there trying to tell you, like, he's going to shoot down anyone who tries to take his guns. It's mostly just, I live out here because everyone leaves me alone. I'm scared about, about being, you know, near a city where the world might end. It's, yeah, surprisingly not... A political stance in any way so you can still enjoy these characters they kind of poke fun at him for being a doomsday prepper who still fucks up and isn't prepped for the scenario that happens which is nice uh they don't treat him as a super serious guy like he's the one who knows how it should be you should be a burt gummer and i think that's a vital part of the character it has to be at least a little goofy in execution if you if you make burt basically like the perfect man uh, i don't know it becomes it becomes overbearing to me and it's like eh, i don't really care about this this is not something I agree with. One thing I wanted to get into uh, further away from characters is how perfectly the monster represents more or less the theme of the movie. So as I said in the opening, our two characters just want to leave perfection. It's it's kind of the ironic title, Perfection Nevada, a town of 14 people with like one store. And these two characters can't get a leg up on anything in life because they're just stuck in perfection. They want to leave and they're held back. Literally by an underground monster. There's like all this unseen baggage under the ground that just will prevent them from being able to leave town. They have to overcome all of this to leave, to get out of perfection. And a big part of what drives the dynamic between these two lead characters is having Fred Ward constantly play the old hat who's, you know, oh, you got to think three steps ahead if you want to get anywhere. Obviously, he doesn't because he's never gotten anywhere, but he's trying to educate Val about this and make him think of the world a little bit more proactively. And through the movie, they are forced to do this because the Tremors are really goddamn smart. The Graboids will actually make plans. And it's like a chess match between the survivors and the worms. You know, like the Graboids dig a trench under the ground because the survivors found a big old piece of machinery they can drive slowly. So it's it's just one act against the other. It's not just a force of might. It's it's actual wits that's going on in this worm battle. And to save the day, Val actually has to think three steps ahead by scaring the Tremor with that bit of dynamite by overshooting it. So it throws itself off a cliff and kills itself because it doesn't realize there's nothing on the other end of that wall. That moment of multiple guns being removed from the mantelpiece. I fucking love all the seating in that screenplay. <laughs> So yeah, I just I just appreciate how it's not a complex or deep message, but for once we actually have a monster and a scenario that go hand in hand and really reinforce each other well. I love that so much. Like it just it it's a simple story, but it's all crafted so well together. Everything clicks perfectly in place. 
I think that's the, ulti- the ultimate beauty of Tremors is its simplicity. Simple characters, simple monsters, simple story with simple themes. That simplicity makes it kind of universal in a, in a weird way. Yeah, well, you have to admit, there's a lot of movies out there that swing for the fences and they cram a lot of ideas in and most of them aren't truly developed. And it just makes your film feel bloated or half thought out. Tremors feels like they know what they're going for. They get in, they get out and everything is accomplished. Checklist done. I love that. It's it's very, very, it sounds rude when I say it this way, but it's very functional. And I like that. They have this machine well oiled and it works the way it's supposed to. That's a high compliment for me. If I say something's functional, I mean that never really is an insult. I always mean like that's perfect. They made this thing work like it should. They didn't get distracted with all sorts of scope creep. They really just made the core work. In my many years of knowing Cody as a sentient supercomputer, I can say that is his highest form of praise. A number one. Uh, and before we get away with it, uh, I do want to make one. Uh, before we get away with it, did you murder someone during this podcast? <laughs> You thought you'd get away with it. I am on to you. Before I burn down my house and start my new life in old Mexico, we do have to talk a little bit about the director of this movie, Rob Underwood, who who didn't direct a whole lot after this. He's mostly uh, just a TV guy these days. But I was delighted to find two things <laughs> that endeared him terribly to me. One, his, one of his first big breaks was as the assistant director on Tourist Trap. Which, if you haven't seen Tourist Trap, folks, go watch Tourist Trap. It's on Shudder. Tourist Trap is delightful. It's a completely different movie from Tremors. (laughs) Totally different deal. And he uh, won a Peabody Award for The Mouse and the Motorcycle, which was his uh, first directorial uh, feature, which was a beloved VHS of my childhood. So little did I know, Rob Underwood gave me that and Tremors. Wow, I haven't thought about that in, in, like, Decades. Wow. Okay. Deep cut. Every this time is, I see a bottle. Or you know moment. Like I got a big star shining over my apartment. <laughs> Every time I see a box of Tamiflu, I think of that fucking mouse and his fucking motorcycle. <laughs> well, Jamie, it sounds like we're winding down on this first episode. Uh, before we leave, there's a couple things we need to get through, though. Some housekeeping. One, out of all the Tremor films that we've reviewed so far, what's your favorite Tremor? Hmm. I'm personally uh, out of Tremors, and that's it. I would I would vote for Tremors being my favorite so far of the franchise. I'm pretty fond of the unproduced Land Sharks screenplay, but yeah, I'm going to have to go with Tremors. Solid choice. All right. We will update this ranking as we add more films to the series. I know everyone's out there like, man, I can't wait for them to get to Tremors 3 and be like, that's the one. That's number one in the list. <laughs> Tremors, Tremors 3 back four, to perfection. But... That is perfection. I'm putting it all into Tremors 4. The legend begins. (laughs) Thank you so much, folks, for tuning in. We'll be back soon for Tremors 2 Aftershocks, the sequel, if you couldn't tell from the the name. Anyways, I've been Cody. Thank you, Jamie, for joining me. Anytime. You can find more Box Office Pulp at boxofficepulp.com. We have our own website. We are on Facebook. We are on Twitter. We are on uh, Stitcher, iTunes. Find us, give us a review, or not. I don't care. It's your life. You do what you want. Whatever. We're all going to die in like a year anyways. And before we cut, Jamie, I believe you did have uh, uh, your Tremors fireworks display display we were supposed to uh, all ooh and ah at. Uh, Yes. I figured uh, because this show desperately needs an out, for the love of God, someone give us an out for this show. Please. 
I am going to end each episode reading a random section from the exhaustively, terrifyingly researched Wikipedia section on graboids. Okay, all right. Hit us with some wiki knowledge. Graboids have three long, powerful snake-like tentacles, which are prehensile and can have at least a good six foot, it's 1.5 meter, reach, possibly up to 10 feet or greater. Each of these tentacles, which have been loosely compared to functioning like the creature's tongue, terminates in a toothed mouth of its own. It is unclear if they bite off or swallow food on their own, or if they are simply used to get a better grip on prey so it can be dragged into the creature's jaws. Normally kept retracted in the graboid's throat, these tentacles were initially mistaken for whole creatures, causing the characters in the first Tremors film to underestimate the size of their underground opponents. Damn it, that actually is a solid point. I never stopped to consider if they were eating the things they grab or if they're just like stuffing it into the main jaw. Yeah, that's what I like about this podcast, Cody. We leave people with Tremors questions, not Tremors well, answers. Hey, they're little mouths, right? Like, why would they just be tentacles? Otherwise, they're just grabbing stuff to stuff in the face. I feel like they got to be swallowing. Those tubes got to like just go right into a stomach. Now, I feel like the real cruelty is they swallow you and then just shit you right out underground and you just suffocate. Like they're, yeah, they're just of, uh, murdering people. They're just a Jamie, tube just, that kills people. You, you just spoiled a huge chunk of Artemis Fowl for people. <laughs> Sorry, most stigums. We, we want to keep your secret. Well, that's enough Tremors knowledge for me for one night. Folks, thank you so much. That's a wrap. Man, I really wish I had spent quarantine learning guitar because then I could add like some folksy guitar twangs to the credits instead of just saying guitar twang and just having that stand as the sound effect. No, just scream it. Guitar twang. Bow, 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 twang. It's not the same. It's not. I am not a guitar. I'm not even close. That's when we eventually do the German cast where we just shout onomatopoeia at the audience. <laughs> Podcast. Podcast is happening. <laughs> I really enjoy our Kraftwerk era. That's that's the best Bob. That, that's what we release our new podcast, Comedy. Comedy. Un- under KC, period. This is Box Office Pulp Guy, and this has been a Pulp Podcast production. Now please, 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 put a gun in my mouth and pull the trigger and say goodnight. And now, on with the show.